0: This is the Short-Term Parking Podcast and I'm Jack Prebeck and today the topic is, this is episode number three by the way, short-term parking number three, who'd have thought we'd ever make it this far. Today I'm going to talk about live music as we knew it is over. Maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's a bad thing, but it's going to be different. After this COVID-19 virus, it's going to be different. I mentioned last week that a lot of other musicians I know are saying over and over again, can't wait to get back out there and play live. Can't get, can't wait to get out there and do it again. Get back out there, hit the boards, hit the stage. And a lot of them aren't going to be getting back out there. A lot of people aren't going to want to go out to hear live music for a long time. And a lot of the venues that these people have been playing live music in are no longer going to be there. They're not going to be around. They're not going to weather the storm Let me go back for a second and point out that there are very, very few people that actually make a living playing music, writing music in any of the various ways that the music business exists. There are fewer than you think. And the music business, is not what a lot of people think it is. The majority of money made in the music business, in the history of the music business, has been made in live performance. Most people that have ever made a buck off of music have done it by playing live somewhere through the ages. You may hear a lot of people talk about how the music industry has changed greatly because of file sharing, streaming, lack of record sales, etc. Before all that happened, live music as a profession or a vocation started to fade away. Back in the 80s or 90s, there were less and less venues to play, local venues. And just to give you an idea, I came up in a climate. I first started playing music for a living in the early 80s. And there were places all over the United States, little clubs that had music five nights, six nights a week. And it was a lot of cover bands, and they were remote places. There'd be a a bar that had music every night. And because of that, there were lots and lots of people that eked out a small living playing live music. And I could go into great detail about why and how that happened, and maybe that's something I will do at another time. But the thing is, the people that were out there playing, they moved on to different things. And some of them went into other areas of music, maybe music production, what have you. But that entry-level job for a musician went by the wayside. A lot of the more competent players I know actually went to church for... The majority of their income, or at least part of it. There were a lot of players that were arranging or being the musical director of a church somewhere, or maybe even just playing and uh, getting paid a flat fee for a Sunday service, what have you. And as a matter of fact, if you would have asked me five years ago, ten years ago, How could I make a living as a musician? I would say, number one, get a job playing, working with a church. Number two, private lessons, become a teacher. And number three, figure out a way to do some kind of a solo gig, a solo presentation at a small club or dining establishment. So let's take a look at those. I mean, I think, like everything else, like sporting events, I think that uh, attendance at church services, and particularly these large uh, mega churches that hold, you know, maybe fifteen hundred, two thousand people. The attendance at those things may drastically change that opportunity for a revenue stream may not be that easy to procure in the near future. And what about, uh, private lessons? You know, the opportunities are out there now that didn't exist before. You can give remote lessons via Skype, or some other type of digital transmission. However, there is a lot of competition in that space that had not been there until recently, until the last few years. And one of the things that has happened is a lot of musicians that do have some type of track record that may have at one point been in a successful band on some major label or something as they're Record sales and their income from the record industry dried up. A lot of them have relied on touring and also giving lessons via the internet. And so for roughly the amount of money that you could take a uh, traditional guitar lesson for, or maybe a little more, you can get one from somebody that has a name why are you going to come take a lesson from me when you can get one from say Paul Gilbert of Mr. Big for 50 bucks or a hundred bucks, something like that. And I don't know that that's what he's charging. I just know that he's doing that. And a lot of other folks are, you know, in that space. And the other thing I mentioned doing, you know, smaller shows, a solo thing, or maybe even a duo thing, more low key. Um, and, you know, I know from my own experience in the last, you know, couple of decades, you know, we used to go, like I said, we'd, you know, be playing six nights a week. Well, maybe instead of doing Tuesday and Wednesday nights with the whole band, you could go find a, a pizza place or something or an Irish pub to go do three sets or two sets as a solo or a duo But a lot of these places, if they open back up, uh, one of the first uh, things to go will be live entertainment. It's one of the easiest things that they can remove from the balance sheet. And there's a historical precedent for that. It's happened, happened before. Now, all these things that I'm talking about, playing in a church, playing as a solo act, giving lessons. I'm talking about people that would be on the low end of the demographic of the very few people that actually make a living or any money as a musician. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the huge stadium acts, the uh, Guns N' Roses, the uh, Lady Gaga, Rolling Stones, you know, the very few acts that can fill huge stadiums and are their own giant corporate industry entity unto themselves. They're likely to survive in some form or fashion the same way that huge industries like uh, major league sports, they're going to come back somehow, some way, you know, as soon as people are comfortable to sit in a, uh, Coliseum with 30,000 other people in close proximity that has to survive in some way. There's too much money on the line. I just don't think that it just disappears. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, But the huge things tend to stick around. But below those giant acts, those corporate behemoths of musical spewage, there are a number of acts that are the ones that fill up the festival lineups in the summertime and they may play the upscale theater in the gentrified downtown section of your mid-level market. They may even go out and play Friday night in a large nightclub in say Louisville and then a Saturday night in another large nightclub in maybe Evanston, Illinois or someplace like that. They may be a blues rock band or a regional hip hop act or a death metal band that has gotten some kind of following or a neo-punk outfit or a Grateful Dead tribute band or an 80s hair metal tribute band, any type of thing that can draw a couple hundred people in a local area and that couple hundred people will spend 30 bucks apiece on booze and it's enough money for that nightclub to have a good till for an evening. What will become of all of those acts? Way back when we first started seeing the impact of COVID-19 here in the United States, I heard something that an economist said that really has stuck with me. And this was directly after South by Southwest had been canceled in Coachella. And this gentleman said that when all is said and done, however, this shutdown of the economy turns out, that in The live music industry, the marginal acts will not survive. The marginal acts. Now, as a musician, and I would think anybody who is creative, they would never like to think of themselves as marginal. It sounds like an insult to their very art. But this was coming from an economist, and an economist looks at these things differently than most of you and I do. An economist will say marginal, meaning those who are not producing the biggest numbers. So when this guy, and he wasn't in the music industry, he's a music fan. What he meant by marginal, first of all, all of those folks on the lower end of the income spectrum, the ones playing in churches, the ones doing a solo act at the local bistro, it is a given that they're not going to be around. But further, the people that are actually making a living in some niche, in music and playing these festivals and playing the small theaters and a lot of the larger nightclubs the acts that the true music fan follows the ones that they make their own the one that they follow their career and they interact with on social media those are the marginal performers that this guy was talking about Performers in a dollar sense has nothing to do with the value of their art or their contribution or creative output. And these are also some of the acts that have the most loyal fans, the most loyal audience. They may not have the venues open to them to perform in for that audience to come out and see them. That audience may reevaluate the importance of spending a couple hundred bucks to go see their favorite performer in a confined space with a crowd of people in close proximity. Maybe the fear of being in a crowd in the near future will outweigh the desire to go enjoy that. Night out, experiencing their favorite music. Who knows? Who knows? There will be a percentage of people that don't want to go out, and there will be a percentage of the venues that will shut down, and small businesses that aren't able to carry on, and there will be a percentage of venues that will carry on, but they will cut out live music as an expense. It will change. It will be different. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, this all sounds like, uh, it may sound like doom and gloom to you, but historically, social change, upheaval, spawns artistic movements. And there hasn't been a great artistic movement in a while, so this may be something that ushers in something new. And it may bring about a new way of how we experience art, and maybe even a new type of venue. Nobody knows what's gonna happen, and an economic shutdown like this is not something we have experience with but what we know is that an economy is made up of individuals and their individual actions and individuals can change the way they do things. I am 56 years old and I recently started a little YouTube channel and have been active on Instagram and I've been playing my guitar and a few people are listening. I'm a guy, I've played gigs for 40 years. I've been making records for around 20 years. I started making records at the very worst time in the history to start making records. A few weeks ago, a guy got in touch with me. He's a music producer, a hip hop producer from Atlanta. And he was interested in one of my little guitar improvisations that I'd put up on YouTube and Instagram. And he wanted to know if I could sell him a loop. I've heard of such things and that kind of activity going on, but I never dreamed, never thought, never envisioned that I would be part of that scene, you know? And one reason for that is I have always wanted to hear live drums. And that goes back to being a geezer that's been playing gigs for 40 years. I've never liked the sound of programmed percussion and music that was on the grid and I never thought of trying to produce a loop or a beat that was the very thing that I did not want to listen to but my listening habits come from the way we used to do things and lately I've started to listen to newer music with different ears and more of an open mind I'm conditioned to like music that either is live performance or is simulating live performance. And a lot of that taste that I've been conditioned to have includes the ebb and flow of drums and percussion played live by a human being, the heartbeat, There are little variances and time fluctuations. Time is not perfect. But I realize that even those imperfections, they could be looped. And somebody else could go put them on a grid. And do their own thing with it. I have been emulating what I've conditioned myself to like. My own preference. But preferences can change. And individuals' actions can change. John Hammond once said that the advent of stereo set back the recording industry 20 years. And what I think he meant by that was that an actual live band was not stereo separated like a hi-fi record was in the early 60s. When you go out to hear a live band in a club or a live musician the source of the music is centralized and a lot of what you're hearing has to do with the waves, the sound waves bouncing off the surfaces of the room. But somebody came up with the idea of trying to simulate those sound waves bouncing off from separate locations and they came up with a very imperfect simulation called stereo separation. And a lot of the early Stereo records were jazz records that had the rhythm section in, say, the left channel. They'd have the piano, bass, and drums on one side, and they would have the horns and other instruments on the opposing side, and that's the way a jazz band a lot of times would set up on stage. They would have the bass player next to the drums and the piano player next to them, probably the guitar player. And then on the other side of the stage, they would have your horn players, but all those sounds would bleed together. And if you were in the room hearing that band, you wouldn't hear that type of separation. You would hear it as one source, one thing. But what happened was once we got used to hearing stereo records and once they improved that process, Somebody at some point came up with the idea of mixing the band in a live performance the same way. And of course this happened after the advent of sound reinforcement. The big sound system that the band plays through. Even the guitar amplifiers are mic'd and each drum is miked they got a microphone in front of each horn. And now what the practice is they mix all of that separately. They may have the guitar coming on the left side, the big speaker on the left side of the stage, and they may have the other guitar coming through the big speaker on the right side of the stage. So what has happened is you go hear a live band, and they're imitating... A simulation of a live band. A stereo recording. A very imperfect simulation of a live band. It's like one of those pictures in a picture. So you have a live band that's simulating a simulation. And that's what we're used to hearing now. But the live thing changes and the live thing changes. And individuals change and their actions affect the whole. And we don't know how. It's all going to roll out. And lo and behold, this analog man, I'm going to buy a drum machine and I might just explore the world of loops and beats and change my perspective on composition and how everything goes together. Maybe, maybe. And I also am thinking at some point I would like to call some other musicians I know and maybe record live in a studio and write some new music. And maybe that's not far down the line. And at some point, I may engage in some live music performance of some type. Maybe even in front of a live audience like they used to do in the old days. Doors open and doors close. Where we end up, nobody knows. And with that, I'm going to leave you with a little piece of music I just did earlier this afternoon. And it is an electrified, digitized, improvised performance of an old-timey country blues thing done with a looper pedal and electric guitar and i hope you are doing well and thank you so much for tuning in